Hello and welcome to Hammers and Rude. My <laughs> name is Casey Burkholder and my co-host is Brittany Richards. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like that? That was a little bit stunted. I just wanted to make it profesh. I liked it. I felt like I was calling into like a late night talk show where I would oh, get like night? Rona at night. It was it, it was giving me major Rona at night vibes. I would love to know what's going on with that person who informs so much of my early sexuality. Same, same, so much. That's kind of universal of at least young people in Calgary, Alberta in the 90s. Okay, however, did you know that Rona was syndicated? Because when I went on a family trip in 1998 down to Florida and we were driving back from like the Kennedy Space Center in the dark and had some random radio station on, Guess who was on the air? Rona at night. She was a syndicated show. But no one changed the station? No. And I specifically remember what she said, what she said that <laughs> night. Some like young junior high age girl called in, like our age. And she was like, I'm trying to get this guy to notice me, but like he won't notice me. And Rona's advice was like, get yourself some blue nail polish. And like, not to be noticed by the guy either, but the, the advice wasn't like, oh, the blue nail polish will make the guy notice you. It was just like, have some fun with your girlfriends and paint your nails blue. Like, don't worry about guys, you're too young. Some sound advice. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I know nail polish always takes my mind off my problems, especially blue nail polish. I have to tell you, I can't wear fingernail polish because I'm too messy of a person. Like, I can't, <laughs> it doesn't last. What's the point? It's immediately chipped and it looks terrible. I'm with you. I'm not a, a wearer of fingernail polish either. No. To- toenail polish, I, I do like though. Fingernail polish, here's my, here's my little uh, non sequitur. Fingernail polish is featured in the chapter, Marion Waiting. It sure is. Pink fingernail polish. Pink fingernail polish, and I believe pink lipstick. With a silver tinge, which reminded me of the first lipstick I ever had, which was blue with a silver tinge. (laughs) My mom's friend got me at MAC makeup, and I felt like, honestly, the shit, I'd never felt hotter. (laughs) My, like, training bra and my blue lipstick. (laughs) hypothermia chic you might say yes yeah (laughs) so interesting all right so this week we have read chapters five through seven marion waiting eddie is bored and horny too and the door on the floor so as i got through these chapters and especially when i came across the chapter title eddie is bored and horny too I had a memory of you bringing me the book or telling me about the book. Mm -hmm. And we perused the table of contents to look at the chapter titles. Eddie is bored and horny too. And you also mentioned that of course, chapter eight is called, or is it nine, a masturbating machine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we knew going in just from from scanning the table of contents that this book was going to be all about sex and as you know hormonal teenagers 
and general perverts, we were all in. <laughs> general perverts is right, because this was not our first dance with like, <laughs> literary erotica in any way. Oh, you're talking about family secrets. <laughs> I am talking about family secrets, which was a book that Brittany got <laughs> at a used bookstore that my mother purchased for her. <laughs> because we went together and we got books I don't know I probably got like yeah and we got like big hot chocolates and like bowl mugs European style which was actually a really big deal in suburban Calgary this was a really cool but cool also don't you remember lattes and bowls so much in the 90s <laughs> yeah the bowls go <laughs> I know lattes from me you're right I don't know what happened to the latte bowls. <laughs> some warehouse or like Value Villages everywhere, just all these latte bowls. So Family Secrets was a, uh, you're right, that maybe was our first foray into erotic literature. Or and then what was the other one lace. you said lace? Which was like racist and horned up. That one, yeah. And there's even like a mini series which we found and then watched on YouTube. <laughs> <sighs> anyway, not maybe not our first foray into the perverse, but maybe the best written. I was just gonna say that. Yes, yeah. the most. The yeah. <laughs> I, actually at a loss for words but but yes this was probably the the classiest the uh the the classiest sex book um that we had yet read that we had yet read yes <laughs> so um chapter five marion waiting marion is waiting at the ferry terminal for eddie and so i'm curious um Give me your initial thoughts on this chapter. What what did this conjure up for you? Yeah. So the first thing I noticed was that you finally hear Marion's voice and internal mm -hmm. monologue, mm -hmm. but it's still it's like weak, not weak, but it, it's, it's like, like one dimensional. You don't get to really know, and also you find out how beautiful she is, and it talks at detail about her breasts and like okay, I think about myself or how it describes like. I'm not going to be thinking about or describing myself in that kind of a sexual way. It's such a like gross, hetero, male, gazy. I hated the description of Marion. So yeah. don't get, get me wrong. I, I like this book. I, I always will. But it, reading this now as a 37-year-old woman, not too far off from the age of Marion, I hated this description men watching Marion's hips they couldn't help themselves the whole description of her and her perfect breasts and how she just might be the most beautiful woman alive she didn't have a flaw blah 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 Get boring fuck you that's what I wanted to say I was like come on this is yeah it's it's uh it's boring also, I read that her breasts were pendulous. And recently, I had a breast cancer scare. <laughs> mm -hmm. And when I was in the change room at the breast cancer, whatever, the mammogram area, 
there was a thing that was like, if your breasts are very pendulous, make sure that you do this. And I was like, what does pendulous mean? <laughs> so like, I'm glad you phone. asked because I, I don't know what that means. Like, I know it had something to do with breasts. Like when else? And then I was thinking like pendulum, like. Sweet. Yeah, that's where my mind went. Pendulum. Well, it's the polite word for like kind of sag. Saggy. Well, so she's had three babies. So of course they're pendulous. That's what a man I was would say. surprised to see the word pendulous in relation to the most beautiful woman's breasts. And that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. But then you see all the weird sexual stuff that Eddie and really John Irving does with the woman who is like very plain but doesn't wear a bra. Oh, Mrs. Havelock. <laughs> that is coming. Yeah. He, um, so that's at the next chapter. Eddie is bored and horny too. We get a description of the the faculty wife at Exeter, who many of the young boys, in fact, I've, I think I wrote down a, a quote here about Mrs. Havelock, how, how she was the, um, the fantasy behind many of the boys, you know, it's, well, I'll just read the quote. Mrs. Havelock doubtless performed this valuable service for countless Exonians who passed through the academy in her prime years. So, so as soon as she was not in her prime, the boys were not thinking about her while they were masturbating. But prior to that, they really loved that she was braless and had hairy armpits. And also Eddie's mother was so critical of her, couldn't believe she was running around with hairy armpits and no bra. So pitting women against each other, that old chestnut. <laughs> yeah, I just, I don't like when... Like, okay, I just read this great book by George Saunders and it's called A Swim in in a Pond in the Rain. And basically he takes these short stories from Russian literature by four different authors. And then he tells you what's great about them. And one of the things he talks about is like, if you bring someone into a story, they have to matter. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. as I'm thinking about like Mrs. Havelock mattering, the only thing that matters about her, the only dimension her character is even at all is that she's this like pitiable sexual object without her consent. Like she's not given Yeah, we don't, we don't get to know her intellect. Yeah, yeah. We know that she's a wife and that she doesn't wear a bra and that she has hairy armpits and that she's performing this valuable service well yeah that's it makes me wonder like how many times have we performed that valuable service and not known about it that's enough well it's gross but it's also like kind of (laughs) narcissistic how many people have masturbated about I see what you're saying. I see. What no, you're I love no. it. I, you want to go down that line of inquiry? I'm into it. Go. How many people? Oh God, I don't know. Two hundred. Um, okay, that seems like a lot. I'm gonna say forty-five. From high school, do we go back as far as junior high to now? I don't know. You never know. It's like the randos. 
But 45 is also only like, imagine like two a year. That doesn't seem like that many. <laughs> I was trying to be modest. <laughs> Obviously it's droves. In <laughs> fact, in fact, in high school, in my biology class, we all put pictures on the wall of ourselves with our dogs and my picture disappeared. And I know somebody took that picture home and was doing the unthinkable, staring at me and Leah and Dexter. <laughs> well, they could have also done something like we would have, which is like use a thumbtack and <laughs> poke the eyes. Poke the <laughs> oh my God. Once my mom gave me a photograph, a framed photograph of her and my dad for Christmas. I was oh, in college. I bring it in, I put it in my packed luggage. The um, the frame shatters during <laughs> the glass scrapes my mom's face, but leaves my dad's. <laughs> but then the glass, like I keep the frame, I just take the broken glass away. So my mom comes to visit, oh, <laughs> the no. and she's like, "I can't believe you would scratch up my face." <laughs> <laughs> I would never, but even so, I scratch up your face. Let's just imagine a world where I'm mad at my mom and I'm like, the way that I'm going to get back at her is by scratching out her face, but keeping the photograph and displaying it when she comes to visit. <laughs> That's know. rich. That is rich. I thought it was a bit of a leap. Like if it, I yeah. really done that, I would have hidden it. It does sound like a very mom thing to do, though. But like, but I think I could have. I think I, I could have anticipated. Like I would, imagine that I would have done it and hidden it because I wouldn't. I never put my real thoughts out in the world. <laughs> That's not what I'm like. <laughs> well, and why should you be? But I think I would have anticipated that reaction and hidden the frame nonetheless. You know what? I should have, if maybe I wasn't having the sharp week. Well, and we, the older we get, the wiser we get, you hope. I was just saying to my friend Sabine today, I've never been more confident in my intellect than like immediately after undergrad when I was about 22 years old. I was like, mm -hmm. yeah. I just like everyone to know that I know exactly what the world is like, mm -hmm. exactly the right political take, pretty much know everything there is to know. And I have almost no people in my life from that time. And there is no surprise as to why that person <laughs> would have been horrified to be around. But weren't we all like that at that age or at some I young doubt. age? <laughs> no, but I think there is a phase where you do think you know everything and you have it all fixed. And spoiler alert, you know nothing. I know. <laughs> Um, the world is so big and like knowledge is so big it's impossible to claim any kind of understanding yes well we know that now but can we for a minute talk about the contrast in poor mrs havelock who passes through her prime and then the and then the description of ted cole at 45 who's a a handsome man who who could still uh I get the hearts and minds of ladies. I Can mean, we just talk about 
cliche, right? A double standard? Well, I think that, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. If people's expectations are maybe lower for dudes or, I don't know. I feel like people look at, physically look at um, men in different ways than they look at women and like they don't look as deeply or as long like I've never noticed for example in the way that I look at my own face I'm like oh no I have pimples or I have large pores or I have wrinkles or whatever I never look at like another person's face with that same kind of intensity but maybe if you're comparing yourself to another person you do but also I feel like the culture is just always looking at women in like a negative totally and I mean all women (laughs) all women exactly yeah so it's just really showcased here and I think the reason that in this instance I'm focusing on it is because you know we kind of read this book during the formative years so here's Marion this like picture of perfect beauty with her pendulous breasts and her whole the whole description of her outfit and blah 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 and then Mrs. Savlock, who had, you know, floppy tits. That's, that's, those are some of the words that are used in the book and hairy armpits. And that's like, okay, that's not attractive, but that's, that's okay to masturbate to. Until your sexuality is corrected by the social norm. Like, right. you're legitimately attracted to her. And, you know, you can't help what you're attracted to. Like, that's right. All kinds of things that are weird or Mm -hmm. interesting or different than the norm Mm -hmm. but I feel like he's schooled or like socialized into correcting his previous attraction like oh I was wrong in being attracted to that person yeah this is what I should be attracted to and that's what I think is gross yeah okay yeah you're right that is gross I also like the foreshadow at the end of chapter seven, the door and the floor when te- uh, when Eddie is driving the car home because Marion said, I know boys your age, I know you like to drive every chance you can get. And he says, I don't know, you know where I'm going. And she says, I'll give you all the directions you need. Yes. It's a foreshadow. She's not just talking about driving the car. <laughs> yeah Yeah, I think it's also really interesting that they talk about how Eddie hates his parents like despises them as embarrassed in that teenage way right it's like so normal to hate your parents and be embarrassed by them but um he doesn't apply that same critical gaze to other adults like Marion and Ted who are also deeply flawed terrible marriage yeah they seem so um maybe different or modern or interesting probably compared to his parents yeah but it made me think about the fixations I had about other adults that were my parents age when I hated my parents you know like I thought other adults were like really cool right yeah did you have adults like that that you like thought were really cool oh of course I did yeah especially like a lot of my mom's musician friends and stuff yeah yeah I thought my mom's best friend was really cool but I never liked any of her other friends not ever even now I never like 
<laughs> My dad doesn't have any friends. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think who else did I think was really cool. I remember uh, working at Chapters, my boss, Tom Phillips, my friend Sarah's uncle. I thought he was really cool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tom it, was it, cool. Like, yeah. So he didn't have a cool. TV. Yeah. He was like arty and like whatever. He was so nice. Yeah, he was awesome. He was, really cool. he was never creepy, which is also really cool as an adult looking back. Always a bonus, never a guarantee. But at that age, ah, oh, you don't know about all the creepiness quite yet, so you can kind of get close to a man in that way without being fearful of. I mean, I guess it depends on your experience, but um, yeah, at that young age. Tom never seemed like a creep but I can't I can't remember if I told you about how when I was leaving my last job my like a few jobs ago in what year would have been 2017 I guess after I quit my boss who I worked for for five years and who was like a father figure to me was like hey so how long did you work for me before you were a hundred percent convinced I would never make a pass at you like one year, two years, I'm like, never, like yeah. never, man, never. And he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, the longer I worked for you, the less likely it seemed, but it was always like my worst fear <laughs> that one day you'd cross that line. And a couple months later, oh, I guess I hadn't quit yet. A couple months later, we saw I saw his wife at a party and she was like oh he told me what you said and he just doesn't get it men just don't get it they don't get what we feel every day that like I really like this guy and gosh it's all hanging in the balance because one wrong move and everything all this respect and admiration that I have for this person gone <laughs> and I was like I'm glad his wife gets it nothing yeah. personal it's just it's just life life experience you know yeah so funny how people can't see outside of their own experience so often. It's true. I was talking to my dad again, yes, like a couple of days ago about uh, where he used to work. And he was like, you know, it's a great company. Like anyone can get a job there. There's lots of women. And I was like, yeah, but are there black <laughs> people? Like, are there indigenous people? Like, he was like, what do you mean? And like for in his <laughs> mind, and then I, I had taken on a critical tone and like, oh, I was being critical. So then like conversation over, but <laughs> like, I don't understand why like white women equals progress. Like, sorry, no. <laughs> that yeah. Your, that your company is a good company. I know. Or like, why is it like, <laughs> excuse me. Why is it this thing like, Oh, look what a good company we are. We've we've given women a job. That's how like it's like great. Also, like you should give women a job and it shouldn't be like a thing you even have to talk about. Yeah, it like the whole thing is bullshit, but it's all bullshit. <laughs> I drank down the wrong uh, this is the science term tube <laughs> and now I can stop talking 
it sounds like you've respirated a bit of liquid. <laughs> um, well, I'll just mention then something that I noticed in the chapter, Mary in waiting, that she feared she might not be able to keep herself from loving her daughter. I yeah. liked those words um, because I don't know if I recalled that sort of her, you know, reason for leaving or reason for being kind of distant as a parent is because she didn't want to get attached to Ruth yeah. to experience that same kind of profound loss of losing her two other sons. Yeah. I mean, I think she would have had an abortion had that been an option at the time. Okay, so you think that the pregnancy was an accident? Uh, maybe, maybe not. But I think that when, like, when she became pregnant, had she been given the option? I think she mm. Because, like, the point of labor is a life and death kind of experience. Like, not everyone gets through it, both the parent and the child. Mm -hmm. So to me, that would be like setting yourself up for, for a tragedy. Even to, yeah. like to give birth I don't know yeah but yeah I I just feel like you don't really get to see her and I forgot that there was any point where you do quote unquote see in her head I don't think you do because she's still very one-dimensional but I forgot that she was even given the space in the story to yeah that might be the only time because at this point <clears throat> in this chapter she kind of realizes that Ted has hired Eddie to be his driver and that he hired Eddie before he announced that he wanted them to try a trial separation. That's so she's realized that he had a plan. It, yeah, she has realized that he had a plan, which is for her what puts the wheels in motion to say, I'm going to leave him before he leaves me. I'm going to take the photographs and he can keep the house and the child because he's a much better father to her. Um, is a much better parent to her than I can be. But this like three nannies business, I found that really interesting that she has, that Ruth has three nannies because there's like a morning nanny and an afternoon nanny and an evening nanny because no one else can get the stuff done. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah. I think Marion just doesn't have the capacity to do it mentally and emotionally. Well, yeah. And what he's an idiot like why could you do it for one thing i'm sure she's like severely depressed and not getting any attention through psychotherapy or medication or anything yeah we didn't know much back then however did you know that the vibrator was invented um to prevent women from having hysteria <laughs> What a happy little accident. <laughs> oh, God. Classy. Well, I mean, the notion of hysteria is ridiculous. <laughs> like, Isn't it Who wouldn't be depressed? Who wouldn't be depressed? like no choice oh yeah exactly like if you've got a thought keep it to yourself nobody right. wants to hear it 
keep it down. Better put a smile on it and do all the work <laughs> with a smile. Oh God. Put you away. Uh. <laughs> no, I feel lucky to be born in a time when, you know, we don't have to wear frilly skirts and have a cocktail waiting for our husband when he gets home from work. Yeah. It's a little bit better than that. What's that? Wouldn't it be nice to like get home from work and have like a cocktail waiting for you plus dinner made? Oh yeah. And I have would the... do that situation. Not to do it, but to have it done. Yeah, you would like to be the, the person returning home to the cocktail and the warm meal. Because he's had a stressful day, you know, these articles say, so he needs a cocktail. And then, you know, you have dinner and the woman still cleans up and you've got to clean yourself up before the husband comes home. You can't make it look like you've had a rough day running around with the children and getting the groceries. Yeah. That sounds like a lot of pressure. And going back to last time when I was talking about Betty Draper, that, you know, in like the early seasons of Mad Men when Betty Draper actually does get psychotherapy and her analyst talks to her husband about her appointments. Yeah. Can you even imagine? No, I, I think that's a severe uh, <laughs> conflict of interest. I think that's an ethical problem. <laughs> Us men will sort out this poor hysterical woman's problem. Yeah. It's depressing. <laughs> hey, but anyway, the world's on fire. Here we are. It is. Our bright ideas. Many things to say. <laughs> Can't really go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Can go nowhere. Can't really see anyone. Cannot leave the house. Can't see anyone. In a way, we're a little bit confined. We are confined, but it's fine. Look at all these distractions. We started a podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Get rid of our excess ideas. <laughs> we don't feel hysterical. It's really calming my hysteria. That's for sure. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> okay. Uh, what about the door in the floor? Mm, I didn't yes. remember the story, but it's, uh, it's dark and I liked it. Yes, um, the door in the floor seems to be the grief. Yeah, I, I wish they had put these weird stories as children's books, though. They're really, I like them. I like a dark story, though. Yeah, it is dark. And I mean, at what age should you make children aware of grief? I mean, I remember a therapist telling my aunt to get her child my cousin sam a pet fish so she could learn about death at a young age huh. i feel like at four my kid is obsessed with death for a while she was saying like well i don't want to die it's like we'd have to be like man nobody wants to die <laughs> like no one wants to die so you just have to enjoy your life and not think about it because that's what everyone does. Yeah, it's very confusing, especially an untimely death, though. 
Yeah, but also like she's right. Like I don't want to die either. <laughs> That's a reasonable thing to think about. You just yeah. have to learn to not think about. It. Or you have like a a tradition or a set of beliefs that allows you to feel some comfort about the after. But if you do not have that, then yeah, it's probably a little scary. Like, yeah, it's so funny. Explaining the world is very interesting. I I'm yeah, I bet it is. I don't I don't have to do that. I don't. Also, but, like, I'm not into lying or talking down to children. I think that's gross. But I find it can sometimes be a, of a conflict with my parents because my mm. mom very much is not comfortable with reality and prefers, like, a, a friendly tale <laughs> of another way. Right. <clears throat> like, um, it was Easter recently. And... I told my kid, I was like, you know, some people believe in the Easter bunny, but I don't. So at our house, I'm the Easter bunny. And then she told my mom that and my mom was like, well, the Easter bunny comes to my house. <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> grandma believes. But I'm like, it, the Easter bunny is no crazier than like Christianity, right? Like it's all, some people believe it and good for them. Other people don't. Right. And good for them. Right. But I find that sort of like, I don't know, bristling. So does this mean you don't do Santa Claus either? Yeah, we do. But Santa's a story. But that like, it's school. It's other kids. They're like, it's real. I'm like, it's okay to believe that it's real. I don't believe that it's real, but other people do. Right. That's fine like what if she becomes a christian in her high school years i'm like not for me good for you if it works for you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you never know i guess what people are gonna find <laughs> what i know like what is gonna like what's her rebellion going to be i'm very excited <laughs> maybe and she also, won't i like i'm excited for the match of wits like that's gonna be the ultimate um oh no ultimate you, no oh yeah it's gonna be amazing because i always see like you know like when we're driving down the street someone's urinating on the side i'm gonna see the way every time mm-hmm. i'll see a drug like i always see the seedy worst mm-hmm. growth parts of the world I look forward to turning that same attention towards the world of youth. Because <laughs> now, like when I interact with young people, I'm like, you're amazing. You're so cool. You're great. But I feel like when it's my own child's friends, I'm going to be like. <laughs> That's your dad. That right there. Oh, I, I don't just, know about that. I, I did. I just saw your dad's face when you did that. And he um, don't don't hang out don't hang out at the store and uh oh, remember, no, no. I, I, oh yeah remember when i got my belly button pierced and he was like you still got that bracelet in your gut <laughs> i was thinking recently about how i pierced my own belly button with a 
safety pin. Safety pin. Oh my god! Seven, and then it pushed itself out of my body because it was a gross, unsanitary foreign object. Oh my god! Oh yeah. <laughs> Get the wound healed. <laughs> Kids are so crazy. Yeah. But you know. Their prefrontal cortexes aren't fully developed yet, so you can't blame them. I mean, everyone's just trying to be their own individual, interesting person. Yeah. Figure out what that is for you. Exactly. Delicate time. But my kid's best friend is also like equally bad. I feel like they're going to be so naughty as teenagers, and I can't wait. Well, you'll have to keep me abreast of that situation. I'm here for it. I will. My neighbor's kid is a teenager. And one night Tyler and I saw him come back from somewhere at like, I don't know, midnight. And we swear he was drunk because he was trying to get his bicycle into the house, but it was like too too onerous, like too difficult to test. And I was like, oh, he's drunk. That was very he probably had three beers. Or less. Or less. That's possible too. I remember faking being drunk for the first few years of drinking, quote unquote. Like I'd pretend to drink, like swig from whatever, but I wouldn't really drink because I was afraid of being out of control. So I just pretended to be drunk, which was like the same as what I normally was. Not me. I never had to fake it. Well, you had more trust in the world. Not much has changed, though. At this age, one drink, the smell of alcohol, and I'm pretty relaxed. <laughs> well, that's good. As we hear the, like, clink, clink, clink. Ting, ting. <laughs> With a wine glass. <laughs> that's so funny. Well... Anything else you want to say about this episode? Uh, no, I don't think so. I have more to say about the next chapter, but as you know, I accidentally read ahead. So, so next I week we'll do chapters um, eight, nine, and 10. Yes? Yeah. Yes. Let's do it. Perfect. All right. Until then. Goodbye. Until then. Bye. Bye. <laughs>